Welcome to the Anti-Apathy Aunt podcast. I'm Deborah Doan and I'm the Anti-Apathy Aunt, the agony aunt for people who want to change the world but don't know where to start. Each episode, my producer Danny Jacobs and I tackle a social issue that someone's concerned about and speak to the people and organizations in civil society who are trying to do something about it. My message? You don't have to join a political party or chain yourself to a fence. There are many ways to beat the apathy blues, starting here. Hello, Danny. How are you? Hi, Deborah. I'm fine. So, which letter got your attention for this episode? Well, this episode, we're taking on a terrific question from Maria. And she writes, I've always been politically active and for many years focused on health. When I retired a few years ago, I retrained in complementary therapies and offered treatments freely to those who couldn't afford them. When the reality of the climate crisis grew, I started to see the links between health and climate change, especially apparent during the pandemic. Both are rooted in a system where profit is put before people and the planet. But what can I do now in my 70s to connect these dots and help make a healthier world for everyone? I'd like to avoid running into oncoming traffic or gluing myself to things. Hmm, interesting. It is, and it's it's great because it's climate change, which you know you and I are both deeply concerned about. But it's also engaging older people, which I really, really um, like talking about. I'm wondering how our attitude to political action changes as we get older. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good question. You know, we're keen when we're young going to protests, aren't we? We're happy to go out on marches and some people, might not myself included, are happy to lock themselves to things and running into on- oncoming traffic. But your risk aversion definitely changes as you get older and it's harder to see where you fit into these these movements. What's interesting here is Maria definitely recognized how important protest is, and she's obviously been involved in social change before, but there does get to be a point in everyone's life, and myself included, where you almost need a refresher. So I I came across an article recently by a former colleague and academic, Alan Jones, that he co-authored with his colleague, Bradley Hiller from Anglia Ruskin University, about how the climate movement has engaged young people en masse but they really need to engage older people. And and as they put it, they need to empower the elderly. And they explain a couple of reasons behind it. And I don't want to imply that Maria is elderly. She's in her early 70s, but she is an older person. And the reasons they they state in their article are, are that older people are, first of all, disproportionately vulnerable to climate change from things like the health impacts to potential mobility issues or isolation. And and they draw on the example that 75% of deaths caused by Hurricane Katrina in the US, and that was considered to be a climate-linked disaster, were over the age of 60. The other reason they cite, and I think which is really important for this conversation, is that they're heavy influencers of politics. More older people tend to vote than younger people. So they have influence, They're disproportionately effective. And there's one more tiny point I want to make. That generation has been responsible for consuming a lot of emissions. And because actually older people are going to outpace younger people because birth rates are going down, they're overall a high consumer of carbon emissions just by virtue of the fact that they've been on this planet longer and they're a bigger percent of the population with income to buy a lot of stuff. So who are we going to speak to first? We're going to head over to the U.S. and speak to Nadine Young, 
who's volunteering in support of an organization called Elders Climate Action. And they formed as a group of seniors to work on climate change. What I love about them and why I was drawn to them is that whilst they mobilize older people, they also think about these things systemically, which is a core part of Maria's letter to us. So welcome, Nadine. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Deborah. Thank you. Now, I know you're a retired attorney and that you used to work in finance and you were looking around for ways to get involved in climate change campaigns. And now you're actually leading communications for Elders Climate Action. Tell me a bit about the organization. Well, Elders Climate Action has been around for seven or eight years. Um, it's a U.S. Uh, national organization. It has about a dozen regional chapters around the U.S. We have uh, just over 15,000 members. And of the 15,000 members, there may be 50 of us who are active volunteers doing the day-to-day -day work. One of the most significant things we do is is our collaborations and coalitions with dozens of other organizations. We share knowledge. They often can provide scientific knowledge that we, as a small organization, don't have access to. They amplify our power. We amplify theirs. It's, it's um, a good way to work and very inspiring. Can you give me an example of some of the types of actions you encourage people to take? At least twice a month, we issue an action bulletin that might include six or eight options for taking action. And sometimes it's uh, use this form letter and send it to your um, congressional representative. If there's a coordinated national set of protests um, being called for, we might tell our members to show up for those. So there are a number of options that allow people who are maybe physically less able um, to participate fully, but, but we also always promote action in person. Now I know here in the UK, we've got Extinction Rebellion, which certainly kind of came out on the activism stage very strongly. And there were a lot of older people who were willing to chain themselves to things in the interest of climate change. What role did you feel you wanted to do and play when you were looking at where you could get involved? Well, I'm a reader and a writer, primarily. Um, I envisioned myself just being about communications um, and and learning. But, but I have to say, um, I love street actions. Um, and the Extinction Rebellion actions in the UK, they showed how that kind of action can raise awareness. And I think they also showed that people in the streets taking, you know, mass action uh, tends to bring more people into the streets over time. And I think they demonstrated that in Portland, Oregon, uh, in 2020, when we had the racial justice protests um, following George Floyd's murder. The police were extremely brutal to the young protesters. And after a couple of days of protests, we started to see mothers coming out. Many of them would link arms and form a line in front of the young protesters, face to face with the police. And they called themselves the Wall of Moms. And I just thought that imagery was 
amazing and powerful and it, and it it motivates people i think so i'm a fan of mass action i agree with maria that um running out into traffic or gluing myself to something is probably not the way i'd want to go but but protests are so empowering so i'm all for those i do agree with you and i i appreciate your supporting protests that was a really interesting example that you did give but what else do you think is the important role that that elder cohort plays in bringing about change? Well, I, I think it's important for elders to understand what a powerful cohort they are. We are large numbers. There are a lot of us. Um, we have wealth. And of course, not all older folks have wealth, but as a collective cohort, um, we are a wealthy generation with our retirement savings and our home values. Um, we have the wisdom of having lived a good long while. We are active and informed voters. Um, politicians listen to us. We have some free time and we have a sense of responsibility. So. We belong in this movement, uh, and we are big, and we hold more power, I think, than uh, often individual elders recognize. I'd also say that we know, we're beginning to know grief as older citizens. Um, my friends at ECA and I, are, you know, we mourn for what we know we're losing um, in climate change. And I think we also understand that working to make things better, working to build a legacy uh, of some sort in our lives um, is a balm against grief. So I we try in our messaging to um, incite older folks to be not just concerned, but alarmed about what their children, their own children or the children of the planet, what they're facing. And so we, we try to foster some um, alarm and indignation without frightening people so much that they might be paralyzed by the fear. And, and what do you see as the advantage of being part of this collective group of elders versus people just making lifestyle changes? It's clear to me that collective action is the most effective, especially at the local level. So I personally, and I don't think I'm speaking for elders climate action entirely, um, but my personal opinion is that individual lifestyle actions are not activism. Writing the occasional letter is not activism. Those things are insignificant for ending carbon emissions as fast as we need to do it. We, we need more powerful actions. Um, I, I do think that we all should do those individual lifestyle changes, but I think we should see them as a pointer each of them is a pointer to some real issue that requires collective action. What are you seeing in your group of peers? Have you seen anyone who's had that transformation from, yeah, I know climate change is a problem, but you know, it's really up to younger people. You know, have you seen anyone who suddenly got involved who wasn't seeing the need to get involved before? Have they transformed in any way? Yes, I think I am seeing it. and. 
and recently. I, it's one of the signs of hope, I think. Um, I, I think that one of the important things we must do, another study in the U.S. Um, reported that three of four Americans say they never hear anyone talking about climate change in their everyday lives. So to your point, Deborah, and I do the same thing, I, I bring it up at every opportunity. If someone in my neighborhood, if I run into a neighbor and they comment on the weather, I that's an, a segue to climate change for me. If someone's talking about their grandchildren, I say I, I'm a climate activist because of my granddaughters. I, I talk, I try to talk to everyone at a minimum. That's what elders can bring. If they don't feel that it's their issue to own, they can at least just be talking about it and talking about how much they care. So what advice would you give to Maria, who wrote to us, who says she's not seeing how she can slot in? She's not sure that the old ways of activism are, are, are really where she wants to be engaged. She's done that before. What would you say to her as a piece of advice? I, I would say to Maria, um, already you are nearly there because you see this problem and you care enough about it to ask this question. Um, I would say that being alone at home and concerned or worried about something like climate change is hard. It's painful to be alone with worries like this. Um, sharing it with others and working with other good people to make it better is so much easier. The path forward is ask around or go online and find organizations that are working for climate change. Every community has them now. And finally, I'd say to Maria, um, you will get more out of it than you put in. That is great advice, and I think it will be really welcome. Thank you so much, Nadine, for your time and your insight and your wisdom and your activism. I really appreciate it. The second person I thought we would interview is a very old friend and colleague of mine, um, Andrew Sims. And Andrew is co-director of the New Weather Institute. He's coordinator of something called the Rapid Transition Alliance and one of the co-authors of the original Green New Deal. And one of the reasons I really wanted Andrew to be part of this conversation is because he's been worried about climate change long before it was on most people's radar. And I think there's uh, he's got a lot of insight from the myriad hats that he wears. Um, we have Andrew on the line. Welcome, Andrew. Hello, Deborah. It's very nice to be here. You have been a climate campaigner since before any of us, quite frankly, really cared about the climate. How have you managed to stay with it for so long? I think one of the reasons is that the basic problem was so simple in terms of its chemistry that it was quite hard to ignore. And I think one of the things which has kept me with it for so long is the fact that there seems to me to be no alternative to taking action when what you're taking action for is preserving um, a climate in which society and civilization can exist. Um, so you've got a world to gain in terms of taking action and everything to lose if you did not take action. I think the other thing which keeps me um, at it is this understanding that on many of the sorts of issues to do with um, 
social progress, to do with environmental action. You get moments, false dawns of, of, of awareness when you get a peak of activity and then it goes away and you realise that you've got to keep coming back to these things until the stars align, the moment is right and things can, things can happen. And this knowledge that you've got to keep coming at something until everything falls into place and you can achieve the kind of change at speed and scale that the science is telling us is necessary. You've worked in the think tank space and, and the media space. For someone who's not working in a think tank or direct political spaces, what can they do? You know, Maria very specifically said, I want to think about things beyond radical protest like Extinction Rebellion. There's a wide range of things going on, actually. And I think it's, it's, it's often that it doesn't necessarily have a kind of a climate action label on, on the top of it. Now, if you, you might find yourself, um, you might see, for example, in a local community, people getting active about trying to create sort of less traffic congestion in their local area. Or you might see an initiative that's to do with encouraging um, the turning over of a bit of local green space for, for growing of food. You might see a community food project. And you might find that behind that, there are people involved in a transition town initiative. That's something which is um, hugely popular in the UK and is quite popular on continental Europe as well. And there are parallel movements that you can see in Latin America, for example, like the Buen Vivir movement. So that's something where people are coming at a climate issue, but without necessarily waving a climate banner um, at, at, at the top of it. And I think what works really is finding out what motivates you. You've almost got to kind of sit and ask yourself, um, what is it that I think needs doing? What is it that I think I, I can do? And what is it that I get kind of satisfaction from doing? And if you can answer those questions, you will probably find something to do that you will find intrinsically interesting and motivating. And it means that you'll probably stick at it for longer as well. I think it, you've got to go with the enthusiasm that you find in yourself and the things which kind of make you want to get out of bed in the morning. I think that's that's actually really, really useful advice. You have a 17-year-old daughter. Uh, I have a 19-year-old son. What are some of your hopes for, for their generation? What do you think an older generation, and that's probably us upwards, can give to them? Uh, that's a really good question about what can we do for um, the next generation, for our children's generation. I think one of the things that we could do for them is to lower the voting age so that they can be directly involved in democratic processes. I think uh, we could further enhance that by decentralising our political system so that you take decision making much further back locally to where you can see the consequences of, of your decisions and it can give you a reason and a, to, to get engaged and to experience your agency. I think another thing that we can do is to bring the things that really matter into the school and university curriculums to make um, well-being, climate change, ecology, the stuff of life, um, bring it much closer to the heart of the educational um, agenda. I guess, you know, there's a lot of fixation around youth and climate change and the voice of young people. And I would wholeheartedly agree with you that they are important agents of change and they are the future and should have a bigger say in the future. But that I think can come sometimes at a cost of old people thinking they need to, they'll just step back, allow that younger voice to take a presence and there's nothing they can do. And, and you kind of sense that a little bit in Maria's letter. 
So what are some of the kind of substantive ways you think that older people can get involved in fighting climate change? What are some of the different skills and opportunities that they bring to the table specifically? I would begin by saying that one of the most important things that an older generation can do is demonstrate willingness to change themselves. Um, because through making changes ourselves, not only does it validate it and normalise it for others, it, you know, it shows that older dogs can uh, learn new tricks, but it does help to normalise different ways of behaviour. And we also know that... Um, it is in an older generation, it's certainly those who have been lucky enough to approach uh, older age with a pension, that they also have some of the highest carbon footprints. So there's also some of the greatest potential for change. Um, but the other thing, of course, that older people can do if they have time on their hands is be available to provide organisational support, to provide empathy, to listen, um, to help, um, to knowing how systems work, knowing how to kind of um, play bureaucracy and, and engage and, and get things done. Um, and I think they also have something profoundly important, which is if you've ever been in, uh, if you've got through life and, and it's hard not to at some point or other be in a role as a carer of some sort, experience of care and the development of empathy, which I think is absolutely vital for those intersectional approaches to um, bringing about change and helping to build communities of agency and change to see us through these difficult times. I mean, that is that is the wonderful thing about age. You know, you can go back, see patterns and look back and say, ah, oh, this isn't new. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, and this is what I've learned from a similar situation. I think there is a lot of value in the wise elder in, in playing that role. So final question, what is one piece of advice you would give to Maria, the person who wrote into us originally, um, about what she can do uh, to bring about change in, in climate without running into oncoming traffic or, or gluing herself to things. Well, I suppose I would say believe in the possibility of change because um, Maria was asking about health and health and public health policy is one of those areas where we can actually turn around and see some really interesting examples which might cross over into the world of climate change. Because if we look just over the last few decades at some profound changes around health, around smoking habits in Western societies, how that has kind of fallen off a cliff and we look at all the tools that were brought to bear to bring that about, to shift the social norms until we got to a point where we were banning smoking in, in public places in such a way that it's almost unimaginable that we would go back. And it means change coming, working at change from every angle, from the bottom up, from everything from the detail about having conversations with friends and family, but also making sure that the infrastructures uh, around you are conducive to the change that you need to bring about and having clear information available about that but essentially believing in the possibility of change fantastic that's all um a lot of food for thought i think for for maria and for myself actually i kind of want to go away and and put put together some thoughts about what that would mean for someone wanting to take action and who they might engage with collectively to do that um thank you andrew so much for your time um, and, and your wisdom. It's been a delight. Great to chat. 
So we sent these interviews to Maria, and we're now going to follow up with her to see if Andrew or Nadine sparked any ideas for her. Hello, Maria. Welcome to the Antiapathy Aunt, and thank you so much for this question. Hi, Deborah. Nice to be with you again. So, so I'd love to hear just a little bit more about why you decided to take the leap and write in. Well, it's partly something that both um, Nadine and Andrew also brought up, which is the, the fact that we can't just have individual change or systemic change, but we need both together. I was a theoretical and clinical linguist, and a lot of my research had to do with language and communication disabilities. And since I retired, um, I have been mainly in the individual change domain. And I saw a lot of individual change, both in myself and in the people I worked with one-to-one. But having had a lot of previous political experience, I was also acutely aware of how systemic change is crucial, especially when we talk about things like climate change. But having been out of active politics, I was actually a bit uncertain about how to think about how my interest in health and individual health and well-being could go together with activism of some kind in the climate uh, change domain. So from the interviews, what were some of the things that stood out for you? Well, certainly that necessity to combine individual and systemic change, but also the I share with them a deep-rooted belief that change is possible. It was really hard for me before listening to the interview to imagine a, a, a bridge, a set of conditions that would facilitate my getting back into active involvement. And that's what was really why Nadine's Elder Climate Action Network was so exciting, because it was exactly what I had imagined um, and what I thought I would need, but couldn't find it immediately around me. I had a quick look at their website after listening, and the amount of training is exactly what I would need um, to feel more confident that I can participate and have something to offer. And it just was so exciting to see that what I only imagined in my wildest dreams actually existed. So based on your previous role as an academic, your current work as a practitioner, did some of the ideas that um, I think Andrew in particular raised interest you? So he talked about how older people can provide empathy, how they can act as a mentor to younger people, for example. Yes, certainly. Um, That would be uh, a role that I I could imagine myself playing, yeah. Um, especially in terms of communication skills and different kinds of skills that I've learned through my somatic practices. So what are your, the next steps that you will do to take forward? What do you need to know more about? Where will you now start looking? I'll definitely look again at the range of climate 
change organizations in my area because I also feel it ought to be something quite local because of the importance of building community in these times as well, something else that I'm very aware of. Well, thank you so much for your time, Maria. We really appreciate your letter and your ambition to get stuck in again as as an activist, as a citizen, and as a wise elder. Thank you. So, Danny, what do you think we've learned this time? What stands out for you? The thing that stands out for me is that older people might have the experience of seeing how action can create change, and also that climate issues are still very relevant to them. I think, going back to the original research that I talked about, that... You know, we ignore a whole generation of people who have a lot to offer. And clearly, Maria has a hell of a lot to offer. And But maybe they do need to be engaged differently. Maybe Maria's usual ideas of protest need some updating. Well, as Nadine pointed out, there's lots of different ways to protest other than laying down in the road. <laughs> well, so there, you know, in, in my work in civil society, there are some really narrow views. If I say, I'm an activist... People assume that that does mean that I lay in the road and get arrested. Um, I've never been arrested, not yet. Um, And I don't tend to lay in the road unless I'm um, inebriated. So, you know, I I think it's about broadening our definitions of what it means to be an activist, embracing it differently. I I really like the idea of mentoring and and the role of older people in providing a space to, to listen for younger people based on their experience. What have they seen change? You know, I think they can provide a, an amazing sounding board um, in social movements or for younger activists. How is that helping? What, what is it that younger activists need that you think older people's mentoring can bring? Well, that's a very good question, Danny. Um, you know, younger activists burn out you get very stressed and impatient and sometimes you don't see that change is possible because you're you know you're so caught up and energetic about trying to change they so i i think there's a really strong role that older people can provide in taking the long view and maybe some older people who retired have more time to put into making change happen Absolutely. And and I also really appreciated Nadine's approach, which was also echoed by what Andrew said, which is deciding what skills you have and take it from there. You know, Nadine chose communications. Um, Maria has a whole range of skills. Andrew said very clearly, follow your passion and what interests you. And I can't um, emphasize that enough because that's certainly what I've seen in, you know, across all realms of my work. That's so, so important. The, the other thing that actually really struck me, Danny, is that we've heard in every episode thus far is how important local action is, finding a local group where people are engaged. I'm pretty confident that there are both local and national organizations that would be delighted to welcome Maria and the skills she brings to the table. I would absolutely love to see an elders climate action starting up here in the UK, and I'm sure Nadine could help someone get started Get in touch if that's you. Thank you for listening. Do follow us on Twitter at Antiapathyont and join in the discussion. If you're an older person, how do you think you might get involved in the climate movement? We really want to hear any new ideas from you on an issue you want to change but need some inspiration. 
Write to us, get in touch via email or Twitter, or go to antiapathyaunt.com. You can subscribe to future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. This has been an Antiapathy Aunt production. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.